Welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcast actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Now with spookiness. Yeah, now with a, a new a new opponent who's reared his glowing-eyed <laughs> head. I mean, it may not be an opponent. We don't actually know yet. Generally, friendly guys are not described as balls of black dust and ash with, like, glowing eyes. We just yeah. befriended and released an evil dib <laughs> on the world. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, point, point. <laughs> I, I do kind of wonder if it isn't connected to Citra because of the whole memory of her brother and what happened to him. It does kind of feel like, oh, That's what I said after the last crap. episode is it made me think, that was what it made me think of was yeah. um, your, your memory with your brother. Maybe he's looking for you. And apparently he knows where we are. I mean, how would he know that? Who knows? I know. Well, of course you know. And maybe know. soon all of you will know. Who knows? <laughs> one, one thing's for certain, Sudi doesn't know. Mm. So I've noticed that who knows seems to be kind of a default that I've, I've come back to recently. I need mm -hmm. to kind of work that out of my vocabulary. Why? It's true. Who does know? Who does know? Actually, here's for uh, all those bingo card people. There is a neat short story called Who Knows by Guy de Montpassant. Good <laughs> lord. So it's actually it's really fun. It uh, has uh, furniture that walks on itself by itself. Oh, I do like that. <laughs> I like I like it when the house feng shui's itself. Yeah, that's, that's cool. the future right there. Best part of Beauty and the Beast: library, all the furniture moves by itself. But the furniture are people. That's sad. Yes. Not all of it though. Just just well, I mean, Okay, so some of it was a dog. And on that note, yeah, when last we had left our heroes, the doorkeepers had been uh, deep inside of the heart of the guardian vault, wherein they had, after some puzzling and working on stuff, basically defaulted to uh, Masika putting on her Ocean's Eleven hat mm -hmm. and doing a whole safe cracker, safe cracking thing to open up a, a clockwork mechanical awesome chest. It's mm -hmm. just kind of fun. Yep. Wherein you had located the Pharaoh's key. key? Yep. I kept wanting to say stone. I'm like, it's not stone. Pharaoh's stone? Two weird no. things also. Two little it's weird not, It's like the weirdest key ever yeah. too, because it looks like a crazy thing. Yeah, this crazy key thing, as well as uh, two unidentified vials and a clay or a stone tablet that had contained a variety of outsider names and an awesome eighth level spell. It was really cool and sad and weird. And yep. I'm concerned that they're giving it to us because, you know, there's always that like, are they giving it to us so we can use it? Are we going to need to use it? Yeah, prepare to be I more concerned cool shortly. I found some um, <laughs> that was the, that wasn't even foreshadowing. That was just telling us it's gonna get bad. <laughs> that wasn't even foreshadowing. That was just shadowing. <laughs> you wow, then Lord. made your way out. Uh, you had been, uh, as you kind of spoke about earlier, you'd been uh, separated from uh, your friend Jashura, the Blake Queen of Co. Who basically said, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna go find that Co place and, uh, and make sure that." Everyone who had ever angered me is dead. Because I, I don't know if I can really fight Hakatep, like, at all. Which is well, fine. that too. Which I totally get, like, you know. Well, especially considering as as skilled of a binder as you have discovered Hakatep to be, the fact that she is an outsider now. Yeah, it's a big problem. She's like, yeah. oh, the, the last thing I really want to do is get over there and Hakatep's just like, and bind you. Because yeah. he's all powerful. I, there, there is still part of Citra that's just like, oh, but, but... You, you're you're not all right yet. 
Uh, but there, there's some stuff that you probably need to, to work through a little bit. Yeah. Well, Ko's kind you of know? in the middle of nowhere, though, so it should be okay, maybe. That's kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, if it's a fallen city, it's probably like an area not many people are going to go to, so maybe she'll be all right. But I was really hoping she'd go to the Parker Tunes it's, it's more the issue of how many people are going who well, assuming that they can identify her, are going to look at her and judge her just specifically on her being a, you know, poison disease div. Yeah. I'm pretty sure considering the way that she looks, most people wouldn't even need to identify her. However, she is also capable of uh, disguising herself at will. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But that's right. also, that, that's why Citra was like, people in the world still suck. <laughs> so, Don't be surprised. like, we were nice, and there are other people that can be nice. I like, no, but, I like that but, you're like, people in this world still suck. I mean, we don't ha- we don't suck as much as Hakatev, like. Yeah, but like, I didn't want her to like, be released into the world, ex- you know, having had this good experience oh, with us, and we're, then immediately. We're super, we're super all like representative of what the real world is like, no. I did not want her to be like, well, everyone here is just awful. Yeah, so <laughs> I was like, be prepared for people to not be cool, but there will be some that will be. You know, sure. so just just take it one day at a time. Oh my gosh, I just had a thought. Does she speak anything but ancient Osiriani and Shori? I, I don't remember if she speaks a language that somebody else in the world might actually speak. No, not really. <laughs> Oops. She'll be fine. I mean, I guess. Good comprehend languages. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, following that, she uh, she departed. She flew off. Technically speaking, she can unlimited dimension door, so she could just every four seconds hop 800 feet or something. Couldn't she but, teleport uh, or something too, I thought? No, I think it's just dimension door at will. Uh, hmm. At which point, uh, you had all left to make your way to Tefnaju's Bastion. Yeah. And upon arriving, he'd, uh, he'd let you inside. You'd met with his wife. She's nice. She's cool. She's very nice. Yep. He's got a cool place too. Makes me think of 1980s furniture where everything was kind of black and like sleek. Yeah. Yeah. Like the luxury 80s, you know, yeah, side yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah. All the sleek furniture and everything else. And actually, I think it was more 70s, but he's got like a big lava lamp in the corner. Like the <laughs> 70s, like egg chair and stuff. Yeah, 70s egg chair and a big lava lamp and uh, one of those weird <laughs> oh, oval tables. Oh, but it's like a lava lamp, but it's oh, actually man. like lava. It's literal lava. Yeah. Yes. At which point, uh, Averia had taken you into. Uh, the scrying chamber where you would use the scrying plate to determine the location of the tribe eater. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. just hanging out waiting for us to come to the sun disk because he knows yep. we're going to have to go there to activate it. Screw yep. looking for us. He's just going to wait. I mean, like, that's I'm going to get you. Clever girl. <laughs> yeah. Clever girl. Although while doing that scrying, you had uh, seen a mysterious figure, this almost amorphous shape which had resolved itself into a vaguely humanoid shape and had uh, stared up towards the scrying disc before looking off into the far distance, possibly mm-hmm. to where you are now. So as we begin, Sudi's getting a, uh, a riveting tell about uh, what Earthfall was like 10,000 years ago from a rock in the other room. Cool! Like Then everything shook and it got really dusty for a while. And in the meantime... <laughs> it was kind of nice because nobody was stepping on us. <laughs> yeah. No, no, nothing was trying to grow roots into us. It was, it was nice. And then an anthropomorphic T-Rex flying guy walked by. <laughs> In the other room, however, Masika, still with one hand pressed to the cold plate, normally red, although now looking like a single pane of glass that looks out onto a world outside, flanked by Citra and Hollis, sees this black 
shadowy figure, two red points glowing in what vaguely resembles an, an ovular-shaped head staring up, at which point it turns in what you believe to be a vaguely northwesterly direction. It does not walk so much as simply glides, as if magically propelled. Can we make any sort of check about what this thing might be? Uh, you may make an old religion. I will take 10 for a 34. Yeah, I was about to say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Can this ghost get through the wall? <laughs> I mean, if it's incorporeal, yes. Um, I rolled a 15 for a 30. In both of your cases, this vaguely resembles a shadow. However, there's something almost too substantial about it. Not to mention the fact that it is flying around in broad daylight. Yeah. However, it does vaguely resemble something akin to a shadow. Can I tell if the sandstorm is moving with it as it moves? No, you couldn't determine that. I was going to say, you don't have a frame of reference. But uh, I guess take my hand off the plate. <laughs> the moment I'm... you do so, it from the outside edges turns red and then bleeds in like a closing aperture until it is a solid red plate of metal. So I think it's coming here. Yeah, we should go. Out. We should get Sudi and go outside. How did it know? It could tell we were scrying on it. It sensed the magic. <laughs> Tefna's you standing behind you inclines his head. I believe it knew where you were because it knows where a scrying device is. Uh, okay. That, I think, is something akin to the remnants of Nahamra. Oh. Oh, Lord. Oh, Cyrus. Wait, why Why would he know where the scrying device is? Nahamra made this. Nahamra made this? Oh, great. Nahamra Whoa. made the scrying device for me as a means by which that I could more thoroughly keep an eye on the trenches. I thought you said Nahamra and the rest of the shades didn't get near this place and you never saw them during the day. True and true. And that seems substantially less <laughs> substantial than what I would normally see. But it has the appearance, if that makes sense. So, um, can you help us fight this thing if it tries to kill us because it's not a guardian of the vault? I'm not certain. Well, we don't know if it's coming to kill us. I'm just going to err on the side of caution that the creepy shadow thing that's most likely been stalking us for the past couple days because of how the sandstorm's moving and is immediately coming here upon noticing where the scrying device is, is not friendly. I mean, if it's Nahamra, it might be. We'll see. But I certainly, I mean, I'm going to say it again. I think we should go outside because I don't want to mess up the house. I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I would not want to uh, burden our host. That's very considerate of you. Tefnaju's wife steps forward. I can carry the three of you outside if you wish. Yes, we don't want um, it to get inside. I can retrieve Sudi. And Dimension door him out as well. Although I would not be able to return any of you inside of the building at that point. Uh, we'll be all right. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We can come back tomorrow. Tefnaju turns. He makes his way gliding through the wall. Steps into the room with Sudi. Just as Sudi's about to learn about the secret lizard people that live on the distant shores. Oh. Your companions are planning on stepping outside. Any particular reason why? They believe a spirit is coming towards here. Possibly the remnants of Nahamra, but I am uncertain. Oh, Cyrus, all right. Uh, can you take me there? He steps forward, gestures with one hand as he opens a purple door. After a couple of moments, the four of you, as well as Tefnaju, as well as 
Avaria follow you out as you step back out into the blistering sandstorm as it continues to whistle past. The sand continues to blow down through the trenches around you, whistling past and stinging your skin as you step out. Tefnizu looks about for a moment before simply drawing a sword, sitting down in his chair, <laughs> laying the sword across his lap, and just yes. patiently waiting. Masika is gonna go stand next to Tefnizu, and since she's like four foot eleven, it's like a small child standing next to their dad. <laughs> you like up to his knees where he's sitting. <laughs> Just gonna go uh, chill next to the the giant Johnny man who will hopefully per help protect us. I'm running low on spells. Yeah. Sudi will put on the mask and grab the Pharaoh's key in one hand just in case that does that helps in any way. Okay. I don't know what this thing is. You said spirit, but I don't know. I get elementals. Uh, he might have the elemental subtype. You don't know his life. <laughs> We've seen other undead elementals here. Yeah, that is true. He could have been a sorcerer in life, and he has a sand blood type. Sand blood type. <laughs> I mean bloodline. <laughs> blood type S. <laughs> sand. You, I suppose I'll stand about for a bit, taking off all the stuff, uh, your preparations, following your travels and all the rest of that. I believe you guys still have probably about 30 minutes left on your stone skin because it only hey. took you about 20 minutes to get over here. If this thing is any kind of a shade or incorporeal, it's probably not doing physical damage, though. So Probably not. Unless you happen to have ghost touch stone skin. You wait. Time ticking by. Tefnizu sits with eternal patience. Oh, right. Staring off into the, the sandstorm as if not even conscious of any of the rest of you being there. Averia walks in slow circles around, not seemingly all that too concerned. Although she has also pulled free her scimitar which rests easily in one hand. I'm curious, what is your... It gets ready to orate. Oh, she a bard? She a bard. Yep. Nice. Sweet. Rad. Dimension door, bard spell. After some almost 15 minutes, a black point appears down at the length of the trench. A black point slowly growing in definition. And imagine all of you array yourself. Upon seeing this, Tefnaju stands up to his full height. The figure does not materialize so much out of the sand as it just seems to suddenly be closer. Again, it looks like nothing so much as if someone has blown ash and dust into the air and it has somehow coalesced mm -hmm. into this shape. Although disturbing, it is not remotely affected by the gale force winds blowing down the length of this, causing it to seem even more unnatural than it would normally appear. Hmm. Citra, and Hollis by extension, recognizes this as the thing of nightmares. The same thing that had haunted Citra from decades prior. What you had seen the last night that you had seen your brother. Oh, dang. The figure fully materializes as it approaches, seemingly becoming more substantial, less amorphous, more humanoid, Although, again, only in the roughest shape, much like looking and seeing a person through fog in glass. It stops some 20 paces away. The red points seem to turn as if looking over all of you. Uh, Atsu? The thing, again, does not so much seem to approach as now just be closer. It raises up one hand, not in a stop gesture, not in a acknowledgement or salute, 
but just as if gently raising up one hand. Although again, because of its insubstantiality, you can't tell if there's fingers separated in there so much as just this blob shape on the end of an appendage. Uh, hi? The creature doesn't respond. It turns its body partially as head fully to look back off towards the east. And cutting through the sound of the wind, through the whistling, through the sandstorm, comes a voice. Identical, again, to the one Citra had heard in her youth. Although now speaking in words that, although now speaking in a voice that with a decade of experience, Citra understands. Come to me. The figure looks back before turning around fully and beginning to glide away to the east. Should we follow it? Uh, I, I don't know if it's a good idea to follow it, but I don't, I mean, we were going to go talk to, to him anyway. Well... Mm-hmm. Not him specifically, but... The figure is beginning to disappear into the sandstorm. If we're going to, we need to do it now. We... we follow. I saw my chariot parked out front, so we can <laughs> take the chariot. This chariot's getting a lot of miles put on it. Yeah. yeah. Gotta fill it up with gas before you drop it <laughs> off. <laughs> as you mount up, as you nods. I suppose then I will wait for you here. If it is journeying beyond the edge of the trenches, I cannot follow. Mm. Even if this is not a threat to you, be careful. Mm. There are many things here that still are. Unfortunately. You mount up and follow, trailing along behind the shadow thing, given some time to talk and think as the wind whips past you. Occasionally, it seems to be far ahead of you. Other times, almost as if sensing if you're falling behind or getting caught in the sandstorm or it's outpacing you, it seems to slow. Again, there's no sign of movement from it. Mm. It just seems to have moved. It's like a mirage. Masika has Narmer in front of her and is hugging him like he's a plushie again. This is going to be so cool. Or we're all going to die. Technically, I'm incapable of death. That's not necessarily true. I could cease functioning, but I can't technically die. Well, that for you would be dying. Semantics. (laughs) You don't know how long you're traveling. With the sandstorm, it's difficult to determine distance or time or anything like that until you pass out of it and find yourself in the eastern portions of the trench. You continue following and glide by the amber conograph, continue making your way past until you pass by the the sand falls that guard the monument fold. Continue to make your way. Miles trail behind you as you follow this. And in short order, eventually you find yourself some distance from the trenches. After about three hours or so, you find yourself cresting up a rise. This rocky badlands that surround the trenches off towards its east and south, separating it from the life-giving waters of the river further away and providing a natural barrier between this area and the deeper deserts of Osirian. The cliffs here are redstone, The soft brown sand surrounds it on every side. The shadowy thing seems to become less substantial in the direct light now, not protected as it was from the direct sunlight as it was inside of the storm. Occasionally it becomes difficult to follow, but eventually you see it begins to make its way up and along a ridge. With your magical chariot, it's relatively easy to follow. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you follow it around a bend where the cliffs rise up towards your left and the cliffs drop away to your right. 
rising up on one side to a height of maybe some 80 feet and then dropping away on the other side some 100 feet below. From here, far off in the distance, you can see small points like lines rising up from the horizon that you can recognize as the various spires that dot the trenches. As you round a bend, you see here, off towards your left-hand side, carved into the very face of the mountain, an ancient temple. Four pillars rise up from the front. Between the two on the left and the two on the right stands a door in the center. Between the pillars on each side are two statues of men sitting. In both of these cases, these statues have eroded a great deal, almost faceless, worn down from the passage of aeons and the blowing sand. In one of their cases, one of the arms has fallen away and cracked down onto the stone below, but each of them, like the pharaohs of old, sit in a throne and seem to be marked with a pharaonic beard. Although in both of their cases, seemingly purposefully, one side of their faces have been destroyed. Nethus. Ah. Uh. You believe it to be a temple of Nethus. This looks amazing. In front of this structure is a massive sphinx statue, which stares lazily out over the desert eternally in the direction of the trenches. Your guide does not stop and simply glides inside of the building. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and park and take our time, I think might be the best course of action. Well, I don't think it's hostile unless it thinks it's going to walk us into an ambush. Well, or there could be traps and stuff that incorporeal things don't have to worry about. Who knows? Oh, that's true. Yeah, this looks pretty old and might be one of those like... The floor is treacherous because it's been here forever. This pillar is going to fall if we put too much pressure nearby or whatever. So we should be careful. I mean, there won't be magical traps? Well, I mean, sometimes it's magical traps and sometimes it's age because they didn't cast the proper abjuration spells to keep their buildings from falling down. Well, if Nahamra had anything to do with this place, I'm betting it was probably well constructed. I mean, it's true, but the statues out front didn't survive very well. So you never know. Well, I guess we'll... uh park a respectable distance out and make our way inside cautiously with weapons out. Parking your carriage in the uh, the leeward side of the Statue of the Sphinx. Again, still lazily looking out. Substantially better condition than the temple behind it. It's quite possible that the temple was built in an earlier age than the Statue of the Sphinx. You can't be certain. Is it a golem? <laughs> oh god, we should probably really check if it's a golem. <laughs> it is not a golem if you use your golem bane scarab. Cool. Well, that's it's pretty nice. much default. We enter a place. Golems? Golems? Anywhere? Golems? <laughs> no? All right. We're good. <laughs> Are we? No, we're not good at all. This is creepy <laughs> and weird, and I'm scared, but I want answers. I'm good. Masika squeezes an armor harder. I can't even feel that. Stepping inside through the main doors, you pass through a small antechamber. Two depressions off towards your left and right were pools of water probably once available to wash your feet upon coming in from outside, but have not seen water in, you can only assume, millennia, and are mostly filled with sand that's blown in through the open door. Beyond that leads into the heart of the temple. Four doors exit off this room, two to your right, two to your left, and eight total pillars and two rows of four make their way from the front of this temple to the back. The floor here is tiled in alternating black and white making its way forward in this checker pattern. It's like a 1950s mm. kitchen. I love it. Which stretches from the door all the way to the far side of the room. An additional checker pattern circles around the room at approximately shoulder level, and ball reliefs along the wall show hieroglyphs of what appears to be along your right-hand side, prayers of health and healing. And on your left-hand side, 
destruction and devastation rain down upon the people of Osirian in both cases. Mm. The far side of the room shows a statue, almost identical to the ones that you'd seen outside. Except for this one is not worn away by time and sand, protected mm. as it is from the elements in here, and seems to be made from what looks to be some sort of maybe black granite on one half and what looks to be white marble on the other. A shadowy figure, you're not certain if the same shadowy figure, stands with its back to you in the center of the chamber. Uh, hello? The figure cocks its head. As you begin to step forward, you can see your light plays out through this chamber, casting wide shadows. In some areas, the shadows are not disturbed. Hmm. As you can see, almost these other insubstantial forms. Four, five, a dozen... As you begin to make your way forward, maybe two dozen, the figure turns and seems to almost condense or solidify into this shadowy ashen black and gray man, perhaps in his early to mid 80s, <laughs> bald head, worn shoulders, draped in what appears to be the skin of a leopard. Ah. The figure turns, gives an almost grandfatherly smile you must be citra and you must be the cause of all my problems <laughs> nahamra not all of your problems dear child i have very little time to cause all of your problems true but the big ones seem to have your name written all over them because it's my name too mm. Mm. so have lots of questions how did you end up here as a uh, scary-looking ghost shadow when what we know is that you were exiled? He furrows his brow. Blood calls to blood, and so I know you. Your brother speaks highly of you. He extends a hand out. Again, like a father or grandfather, one hand is kind of in a beckoning motion as one shadow peels out from the rest. To the rest of you, probably tragically, noticeably shorter and thinner than a majority of the shadowy figures here. Oh, sad. However, he's still mostly insubstantial. Hmm. The shadow approaches Citra. The two red points stare for a long moment before he seems to hang his head for a moment and look back towards the old man. Does he even know who he is? Sadly, yes. They all do. I don't really want, no offense, to end up here. This does not seem like a good afterlife. You have questions, and I have questions. Maybe you should start at the beginning of all of this stuff with Hakatep, huh? Interesting. Uh, Citra, would you mind introducing me to your friends? Yes, uh, this is Masika and her friend Narmer. Hello. This is Sudi. Uh, this is Hollis and her familiar Sugar. You can't understand me. You can't understand Sugar, but she is very intelligent. I, I, I translate. You know how it is with familiars. I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like him immediately. He must be our best friend. A little granddad <laughs> joke. It's fine. Please make yourselves comfortable. I sense that you've brought it. Sudi will pull off the mask. Mm -hmm. If this is what you're referring to, yes. So, you have the mask. Mm -hmm. You are here. To have the mask, you must have found it in Mati. Yes. You must have then determined the function of this 
sight. He begins to pace, stroking his chin. And the only one who could have told you that would be the architect. Hmm. Yeah, we had a nice chat. How did you bypass the wards protecting him? I point at the mask. The mask allows you to speak with the dead. It does. Yes. That's interesting. And so, you've come here. The only reason to do that would, of course, be to activate the trenches and bring down Hoktep's pyramid. I can only assume, then, that someone found his Ba. Yeah, the heart. We think that the Ba and the Ib have been reunited. There was an awakening of other, of at least one other pyramid. Uh, we ended up having to take it down over Wati. Hmm. I see. This all makes sense. I apologize. I'm certain you thought that I was more aware of things than perhaps I am. Well, I wasn't sure if you knew much about current events, but we're up to speed on that. What we really need to know is what happened the, the before. <laughs> okay, okay. Mm. It's been a lot of speculation. He nods, makes his way forward, looks down seemingly just straight down at Masika, stares for a long moment. What? Sorry, this is one of Chisasek's. Oh, no, I made it. Hello. I'll show him him. Thank you. <laughs> no, that's not. That's not. Use his pronouns. I'm Narmer. We've been introduced. But you, you're kind of old, so maybe you didn't remember. <laughs> oh! Paul is just like, uh, oh, he seems pretty savage, Narmer. Savage! Um, I, I am Chisasex, too many to count great niece, so I don't know, maybe it skips a bunch of generations. Uh, interesting. <laughs> I recognize the stone of one of the living monoliths. Hmm. He's the last. Living monolith? Mm, last eye yes. of Ra. Not sure if I'm the last living monolith. So in essence, you are fixing my mistake. Yes. I would have done so myself, but he passes a hand through armor. Well, you know, difficult. when a crazy undead pharaoh wants to conquer your nation and then conquer surrounding nations, that's going to cause a lot of war and kill a bunch of innocent people. Somebody has to do something about it. Your statement is somewhat derivative, but <laughs> I would not remotely refer to Hakatep as crazy. His wife, certainly. <laughs> he's a little crazy when he's been split in three. <laughs> yeah, she point. sounds like a real treat. The mask seems to have um, memories, memories of Hakotep. I anticipated that that would be a side effect. Oh, and we uh, got filled in by uh, uh, the uh, the Poison Queen of Ko. Jishura. You've been very busy. Yes, I anticipated the, uh, the severing was not clean. I was unfortunately forced to be a little blunt. Why did you have to sever in the first place? I mean, I know you wanted to talk to him, but I mean, like, what was the impetus to talk to him? Um, how, how did he die? We got a lot of questions. I yeah, think yeah that, so like I said, can can we start at the beginning? Very well. I can begin at the beginning if you so wish. Once Nahamar was born. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not quite that far back. No, actually, that is accurate. No, oh, well. I was born during the reign of Hakatep's grandfather. My father was an architect. I think it just runs in the family. Working with our hands, as you will. Even if my hands work for magical gestures. He helped construct the Pharaoh's tomb. A wonderful edifice. Hopefully it still stands. I've not looked into it. When the Pharaoh had a son, his son needed playmates. 
they'll usually refer to as um, children of the nursery, other children to play and keep the pharaohs, the new pharaohs, children entertained. And I was one such. I was blessed enough to stay in the palace from a very young age. If I had been raised along with my brothers and sisters, I probably would have amounted to little, as unfortunately they did. But instead, I grew up alongside the the boy that would one day become Dejerdit the first. Mm. Although I only knew him as Dejerdit. He was spoiled and cruel and lecherous mm. and prideful. But he was good to his friends. And I was always skilled at being what people needed me to be. A chameleon. Of a sort, I suppose. One day, something happened that set me on a path and I suppose set everything else into motion eventually. One day, the pharaoh decided to entertain us by having a wizard come in and display his powers and abilities. Dejerdit was bored after the first five minutes or so and then subsequently just spent the rest of the time throwing rocks at birds that happened to land on the nearby sill. I, however, watched in rapt attention and I came to a realization that I was not born with power, but I could find power. I convinced Dejerdit that he would be even more impressive if he knew magic, and by extension that I should learn magic alongside him. Mm. I was terrible at it. I didn't have the memory, as it were, for memorizing hand gestures and arcane chants and such. Not like your accomplished wizard friend here, I am certain. But I loved magic. I wanted it so much. And then, one of the instructors training to Jared was a priest of Nethys. I started speaking to him. I learned of the faith. I was given book after book, and I devoured them until I truly developed, and I was perhaps a boy of 16 the first time that I wished something to happen, and it did. I called upon magic, and I healed a scraped knee. A humble beginning. However, Dejerdit thought it was phenomenal, more and so that he could be as reckless as he wanted, and I could take care of any injury to make certain that uh, he was free to okay. do what he wished. Well, not any injury. As we all look around like, that's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. At the time, no, but years passed. I worked with Dejerdit. Eventually, his father died, and Dejerdit became Pharaoh, and I continued to work with him. I became a priest in my own right and I attempted to shove him down the path, if you will, to faith. But Dejerdit never had it in him. He was not a religious man. He enjoyed his position as pharaoh. He had many wives, five in total before the end, and had multiple children, mainly daughters, but two sons. The first was a boy, Atet. The second, his son, Ramos, mm-hmm. whom you know as Hakatep. Mm-hmm. That, I suppose, is when I made my first mistake. You see, I spent a great deal of time with Atet. I helped raise him, you see, for I realized that I would never get through to shared it. But Atet, perhaps, this was a boy that was unsullied. However, he took after his father too much. Mm. He was intelligent. He was charming. He was unnecessarily cruel. Mm. He was bitter and jealous. When Ramos was born, his mother died in childbirth. I took that perhaps as the first sign of the tragedies that would follow. I saw a second chance. However, I would need to work at it. When Dejerdit's brother 
Coptra came to me. He spoke of the the issues with his brother to Jerdit. Coptra was, if anything, even crueler than his older brother. Well, said acts. Mm, yes. I agreed with him that something had to be done. And so I poisoned Jerdit. Oh. So that's why he almost died and he wanted the sun or the flower and blah, blah, blah. Mm, yes. I spent a great deal of time with Ramos over the years. Again, as I said, he was the fourth child, second son of the pharaoh, but I could see my way to manipulating events, as it were, <laughs> to make things work Man, better. I love him. Okay. He had two older sisters, Bakamen and Jimma, and they helped raise the motherless child with my aid. Atet was kind to Ramos, but he was seven years older. He had already expected to train for his eventual role as pharaoh. Jared was a caring but distant parent. Most of their care was left in my hands and those of his three remaining wives. As time passed, the pharaoh became sicker and sicker. Not sick enough not to father three more children, but sicker and sicker. Slow poisoning. By the time that Ramos was eight, he had three more sisters. The pharaoh's brother, Coptra, served as the high priest of Set in Sothis. He was married to a priestess of Set named Generis. They had a daughter whom if I had the foresight that I possess now, I would have strangled in her crib. That's... Yeah, she, uh, she seems fun. She was a woman named Neferuset. I can tell you now, and some of this will be conjecture what I know, but I learned that as she grew up, she began assisting her parents in their priestly duties, even at such a young age, showing an alarming precociousness. Hmm. Capra indulged her growing interest in dark things, with codices and scrolls from the library at the great temple of Set. Mm. She consumed these ravenously and then sought more, turning to her paternal grandmother, Nephorus. She was a monstrous woman to Jared's mother. Mm. She was an aging but powerful oracle. Her visions came out of the dark tapestry. The elderly mother of the pharaoh was always disappointed with Jared, mostly for his half-hearted dedication to Nethys. She took in her young granddaughter, provided her with even darker works, and with every new discovery, Neferu said only further expanded her natural appetite for knowledge. Kaftra tried, but failed to convince Dejeredit to let him train the boys in the Temple of Set. And instead, I was given full rights to their education, hmm. exactly as I had planned. I did what I could to make certain the children understood the importance of their position in Osirian, all the while trying to shape them for their inevitable ascendancy to the throne. However, it was difficult with Dejerdit. He often provided a constant stream of distractions for his children. For entertainment, he hired a skilled dwarven bard, uh, I can't remember his name, performed for the boys stories of distant lands. Mm. Ted had little interest in the dwarf, but <laughs> Tabes, that was his name. He was perhaps the closest friend that Ramos ever had. As the princes grew older, Ramos and his brother Atet were eventually both trained by their aunt, Istakimhabet, their father's younger sister, tireless defender of the family's interest. Yeah, we killed her. Well, we killed the undead version of her. Still unfortunate, she was actually quite nice. Well, she tried to murder an entire city to get us to hand over the mask. Oh, well, that makes sense. She was also really obsessed with petrification. Like, really oh. obsessed. <laughs> oh, don't jump ahead. I'll get to that part. 
<laughs> Hollis is like, yeah, story time. I'm excited. Romos was nine when Dejerdits finally became noticeably sick. And the poison I used was slow acting, very slow. Dejerdit called on all of his priests, but they could do nothing to help with the wasting sickness that was killing their god king. I, I don't understand the... Why poison him? Because he was a bad pharaoh. You're not a good person, are you? <laughs> he stares out the door for a long time. No, no, I suppose I'm not. And this is an important point. Osirian suffered under Tjerdit's rule. No offense, but Osirian seems to have suffered under every pharaoh's rule. Some more so than others. True. Tjerdit was selfish, cruel, self-centered. People starved while he feasted. I grew up not in the lap of luxury, but knowing the suffering that comes from poverty. I was elevated to my position as a play thing for the nobility. Mm -hmm. The nation suffered because the nation lost faith. Nethys raised us up from the sands, and Nethys could lead us into a new golden age, but only, only with a proper pharaoh on the throne. I did what I thought was right, but I'll not argue the fact that what I did was unconscionable and was cruel, even. What I did was to betray my oldest childhood friend for what I thought would be the better good of our nation. The pharaoh's brother, Koptra, was unable to heal Djerdin and set off to the west to look for a cure. In the meantime, the pharaoh was forced to decide between his son, two sons who would lead the nation if he should die, and unable to decide, he instead followed the guidance that I gave him to place the decision in the hands of the gods. Which you can manipulate using magic. Technically speaking, mm. magic given to me by the gods. That's uh, like a loophole. Hollis is weirdly like see, cool with this guy. See, that's the thing with Nethys. Nethys doesn't care how you use it, yeah, so like, he'll oh, just yeah, give it to you. Eventually, Jared was on death's door, and the priests were preparing to send him into the next life, myself included, although his pyramid had not yet been completed. I'm looked to be Dejerdit's last day. His brother, Koptra, returned. He had found a cure that would at least give his brother a few more years to finish his preparations for the next life. And all that the priests of Set asked was that he be given the princes for six years to train them in his temple. Dejerdit agreed, and I watched as all of my plans tumbled into sand. Mm. Romos and Atet began their training at the Temple of Set the next year. Koptra and his wife, Ganaris, kept the young princes separate from the rest of the faith, even their own children, to focus exclusively on their education. Many of the tasks they performed and lessons that they learned from their aunt and uncle focused on the worship of Set as a god of strength, as the god of cunning. Ah. Both attributes that would serve the future pharaohs well. Unknown to the parents, Neferuset and her adopted elven sister, Nyla, often snuck into the gallery over the training grounds to watch the two boys practice. I learned this from Nyla years later. After three years or so, the pharaoh's mother, Neferis, died. The princes were allowed to return to their father for the funeral procession. It was the first time I had seen them in three years, had seen the damage that had already been done to them. Neferuset was now twelve. She was given all of her grandmother's ancient tomes. Mm. Her parents didn't think much of this, but I can tell that it was that old witch's plan. The day after the funeral, she disappeared. She was found three days later in a forgotten cubby in the disused temple basements, alive but unresponsive. Hmm. 
Beside her lay a book, bound in dwarf skin, entitled Secrets of the Dreaming Dark. Oh no. Yikes. The menstruations of her parents and the other priests were unable to rouse Neferusa from her coma and all believed that the strange little girl would soon die, myself included. A fair number of people, not myself, whispered that it would not have been a tragedy. Yep, it's aligning with uh, our boy Narlathotep pretty well. Yep. Neferusa awoke from her mysterious stupor 30 days later. She was babbling in a disturbing language that baffled most in the temple, although I recognized it when spoken to me as the ancient Eklo tongue. Oh, okay. When she began to speak in her native tongue again, her first words were, I have seen the dark, and it is beautiful. All must prepare for its arrival. Years mm. later, she would speak these same words to Hakatep. She would also make a prediction that he would become Pharaoh. Mm. A prediction that proved to be true. At first, the girl's parents were unsettled by their daughter's gift. It was plain that she was an oracle of growing power, but soon her enigmatic presence, bizarre pronouncements, a temple ceremony began drawing crowds. Set's congregation in Sothis grew, even if Neferuset's odd evangelism had little to do with the veneration of the Dark Lord of the Desert. Again, I saw everything that I had built waning. Ramos and Atet completed their training in the Temple of the Set after six years. The two brothers were both men now. Ramos, a young man of 16, Atet, 23. They returned home to the house of their father. Jared welcomed them openly, though privately he spoke to me that he was wary of his sons, of what they had learned while they were away. I was tasked with keeping a close eye on the two, and I did all I could to ease the fears of my pharaoh, while doing all I could to determine how deep the roots of Set had been planted. To reestablish control over his eldest son, Dejeredit decided to have him marry one of the daughters of Kaminti Sekpatra, a powerful merchant, an old friend of the pharaoh. Much to Atet's initial displeasure, the marriage was arranged for him by, well, me. However, I knew what I was doing. He was a young man of 23, arrogant and pretentious as his father was, and Soraya was beautiful. He complained a little. I learned from Ramos some years later, and it was around this time that he and his brother had attended a ceremony of Neferuset's incognito. The prince was intrigued by the tales he'd heard of his strange cousin, who spoke in unknown tongues, performing dark miracles. And in the middle of the ritual, Nefruset left the dais and walked into the congregation straight to Ramos and whispered in his ear that before the end of the year, he would be Pharaoh. And then she walked back as if nothing had happened. And a month later, Dejerida I was crushed to death by a stone while inspecting the construction of his own tomb. I had no hand in that. I was about to ask. <laughs> It could have been someone else, or it could have just been Providence. I'll admit now, his death shocked me. I can't explain it to you, but I know I attempted to murder him, but he was my friend. Did he know you tried to murder him? No. No, because he would have put Nahamra to death. He's the pharaoh. Mm. The nation was shaken by the sudden loss of their god-king. The pharaoh was buried in his mostly completed tomb. The process of choosing his successor began, and various trials and festivals were arranged by the churches of Sothis to entreat the gods learn their will. The two brothers were now competitors, and they spent long hours trying to sway the hearts and minds of the nobility and the people. Atet was favored by the nobles and priests. Even his uncle in the church of Set preferred him to his brother. I, however, put my faith in Ramos. 
He was loved by the common people. He seemed particularly blessed during the trials. Oddly, not my interference. Ramos set about securing the throne of Osirian and was opposed by many. Few did so with as much fervor as the skilled merchants of the Sekpatra family. Since their oldest daughter was married to Ramos' older brother, they felt that he should be the new ruler. And as their campaigns against Ramos intensified, Ramos' aunt Istakimhabet, who favored her younger nephew, grew more and more frustrated in her attempts to defeat them. She openly opposed the noble house, mocked them in court until she was lured into an ambush and petrified by their pet Gorgon, the rubble maker. I killed him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I never did kill him. I'm impressed. Masika must be a master craftsman of clockwork weaponry. I am pretty good, but we did wear him down. But it was mostly <laughs> Citra. Let's all be fair here. Yeah. <laughs> I may not know as many magic as Hollis, but I know how to wield a kukri. Is she got some magic potential? You do. Well, I also know what it's like to grow up in poverty. I couldn't exactly go to school. Yes. But then you did. For art. That's still school. <laughs> That would be very interesting to hear more of your, your life. Let me finish with this story. Perhaps we can talk some. I only know of who you were. A, l- a lot's happened since Atsu left. Regardless, Istakim Habet was petrified and they put her on display in their villa to anger Ramos to prove their power. In the end, the vicious games and ability had little impact on the choosing. I intended to tilt the choosing in Ramos's favor. However, I, in a dramatic twist, was not forced to. Through their statues and priests, the gods themselves chose Ramos to become the next pharaoh. So you had nothing to do with the unusual behavior of those statues? No. Did his wife? Yeah, I would bet Neferu set more on him at this point. Or perhaps he was chosen by Nethus. Oh, Cyrus. Atet was furious, but yielded to the decision of the gods. Ramos assumed the throne and surprised everyone by not taking the name of his father. He instead chose the name Hakotep, favored of magic, as it translates into the common tongue. But did he actually worship Nethus? Condensing this man's life down to a single statement, I would say he worshipped power. Mm, okay. And Nethus delivered power to him. Although I think he had a firmer dedication to the cunning and mm-hmm. strength of Set. Though Hakatep was devoted to the Dark God set, his ascension to the throne was greeted with much excitement by the common people. The young pharaoh was intelligent, confident. The people were eager to see where he would take this nation. He appointed me as his lead advisor, the right hand of the pharaoh, the position I had always wanted. This greatly upset his uncle, Kopra, who had wanted the prestigious position himself, but he had to settle for religious advisor. To slight the Sekpatras, he also named... Timonef Mafre, the oldest son of a minor southern house, as the noble advisor to the court. And to placate his brother Atet, was named the Hatya of southern Osirian, hmm. overseeing all the lands south of the barrier peaks from the fortress in Epek. Not long after, he was crowned pharaoh of Osirian, and Hakatep rescued his aunt, had her restored to flesh. Iskim Hibet's revoting devotion to Hakatep was rivaled only by her hatred of the Sekpatras. From what you're telling me, you're already well aware of what she did to them. Mm-hmm. She put them up in her pyramid, petrified. Yes. I suppose in her defense, she did spend over a year as a petrified statue in someone's entryway. The war basically devolved into an all-out slaughter, and the few members of Sikpatra's main family who were not executed met the same fate they had inflicted upon as the Kimhabet. After she captured their Gorgon and turned it against them, 
Hakatep spared their youngest sons, the twin brothers, Timbur and Timbos, gave them over to his brother's wife to raise. In appreciation of her skills, Hakatep promoted her to General of the Northern Armies. Istakim Habet was pleased. Mm. I don't know what you think of Hakatep, but despite the bloody start of his reign, it was smooth and Osirian prospered under a god-chosen pharaoh. The people soon started calling for the young pharaoh to take his first royal wife so his dynasty could endure. I pressed for this a great deal. For his one-year celebration of his ascendancy, I brought him an array of suitable candidates. Of the many choices, including his six sisters, uh, Hakatep was drawn to the dark-eyed beauty, Neferuset. At 16, she'd expanded her sinister reputation as an oracle of the dark tapestry. I had advised him against this match, but Hakatep couldn't be dissuaded. He wed Neferuset, vowing to take no other wives during his reign, a vow which he kept. An act of extreme romantic recklessness, something that would prove to be the undoing of his legacy. Of what you're no doubt aware, uh, during the wedding, which was a huge affair, there was tournaments and such, and he awarded positions of his honor guard to the six winners his Akumen. Hmm. One of the potential suitors became was a young noblewoman named Anne Mech. She was buried with the pharaoh, committed suicide after he died. More likely than not, you'll have to face her eventually. Does she have any magical power? She was a bard of substantial skill. Great. She came to the pharaoh and begged him to take her on as his herald. She was both passionate and persuasive, and so Hakatep accepted her as one of his most loyal servants. She was obsessed, so many young women were. She fervently defended him against all those who doubted his will. And of course, of the many noble houses who bestowed great wedding gifts to the pharaoh, none were as well received as that of the Mafre. Mm. Their gift to the pharaoh was a rock egg, one that ah. Hakatep was able to hatch into his most loyal and powerful pet in Mount. Yeah, he got rid of him. I see. We've been busy, as you've said. <laughs> Guy had a lot of friends we had to kill to get to him. <laughs> I appreciate how thorough you've been. We needed all that experience. We know what happens when you're not thorough. Yes, unfortunately. Nyla, Neferuset's adopted elven sister, petitioned to join her sister as a handmaiden. She was also interested in joining Hakatep's harem. However, she was disappointed, as the others, that he only took one wife. She was never granted the power and prestige that being a noble would give her. She was always just the strange alien girl. Hmm. I only learned later what she even was. An elf? What? An elf. Her kind had been gone from the world for thousands of years. Oh, Earthfall, that's right. <laughs> so she just served as her sister's handmaiden the entire time Hakatep was in power? She just sort of hung around? Oh, no, no. She inevitably attempted to betray Hakatep. Oh. But I'll get there. But, so for the at this point, she was just a handmaiden to her sister. Yes. Yeah, I'd be mad too. But following the wedding, the future looked bright for the new pharaoh, the nation he ruled. For three years, following his ascendancy and his marriage to his cousin, there was time of peace and prosperity for Osirian. The pharaoh spoiled his wife. There was no whim of hers too extreme or bizarre for him to indulge. Indeed. His time of peace, however, did not last long. One fateful day. The Shori Empire attacked. <laughs> One fateful day, the Shori Empire attacked. Yes. <laughs> when Hakatep was 19, Osirian came to the brink of war. To the south of the barrier wall mountains lay the Shori Empire, as you're obviously aware. They're a powerful civilization. Not anymore. Were. Were, yes. I'm somewhat caught up on those matters. 
They, of course, had the advantage of their aerial cities, their raw and confident power. So close to the ever-expansionist Osirian made the two nations uneasy neighbors. Conflict was inevitable. The Shori were particularly fond of flexing their military muscles. Charming gigantic beasts from the jungles, transporting them over the border and watching as the Osirian slave armies cowered before the massive lizards. The deadliest of them, of which you have either met or will meet, was the oh, Spinosaurus no, and Surat. He's on the list. We met him, and then we, we ran away. We met him, and we'll meet him again. Yeah. Yes, the Tributer. Atet was the governor, as I said, of the lands bordering the Shori Empire. He led a hunt for the beasts, only barely escaping with his own life. He turned to his brother for help. Hearing of this attack on his people, Hakatep himself went south, flew south for parts of it, on the back of Kinjutrit. He confronted the beast terrorizing his nation. He fought it in single combat, killed it himself, a bloody battle. One of Atet's soldiers, a highly skilled swordswoman named Tarawet, broke ranks, charged the beast, gave Hakatep the opening he needed to kill it. After the battle, Tarawet offered herself to the pharaoh for punishment for disobeying his orders, but instead Hakatep promoted her to general over his southern armies. Yeah, I think we met her. I have seen this fight in the vision. Oh, okay, we saw him. We, okay. She was killed and buried in Hakatep's tomb. Oh, so we'll see her. Add her to the More list. More likely than not. Hmm. Tarawet was spared. A masterstroke for Hakatep, showing his armies what loyalty was rewarded with, showing his people what they could expect from him. He also had Censurit mummified and reanimated, as you're no doubt aware. Mm-hmm. Sadly, yes. For the next five years, Hakatep, when not building and expanding the faith of Set, routinely returned to the south to press the fight against the Shori on his nation's borders. Atet downplayed the skirmishes to his people. He chafed under the constant interference of his powerful brother. Hakatep, in the meantime, did all he could to improve the nation's southern defenses. It started with the ambitious construction project, building the earthworks that you now know as the slave trenches of Hakatep. Mm-hmm. Yes, because slaves were murdered here in droves. Yes. When he was fighting in the south, he also met Sindatuk, who's an Androsphinx cleric of Set. Mm. As a fellow follower of Set, the Sphinx soon became a devoted follower of Hakatep, once the pharaoh brought the evil god's church to a place of prominence in Osirian. The Sphinx served well, led some of the Sky Pharaoh's armies in attacks against the Shori. He had as much success as was possible, though ultimately the entire venture was doomed to failure, but still Hakatep promised a great reward if Shintakut would continue to serve his army. And the Sphinx agreed. Uh, more on him later. If you have not faced him yet, you will soon. Add him to the list. <laughs> no, I didn't. We didn't know there was a Sphinx. Uh, well, we knew about one of the Sphinxes. Well, we know a couple Sphinxes, but we didn't know about that one. Ah, uh, I know what you speak. In this interim, Istakim Habet had constructed a massive army for the Pharaoh, even a specialized force of harpies that she trained for a while. Yep, met them. Almost killed your great 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 granddaughter. <laughs> Twice. Twice. Yeah, she, Twice. They they paralyzed her with fear, and she fell out of the sky. That was a whole thing. Well, you're still alive, so I'm going to guess you had enough magical protections. Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, technically, yes, you're still here. <laughs> well, I'm glad that there is still some magic in our bloodline. <laughs> the magic of luck. I was going to say the magic of lots of gear. The thing you need to understand is, at this time, many of the soldiers of the South would bear personal witness to the Pharaoh and his aerial forces doing battle with the Shori. He safeguarded them against the Southern aggressors. 
is during the Shadow War that they bestowed upon their god king, a title, the Sky Pharaoh. When Hakatep was 24, the Cold War between the two nations escalated. Annoyed with Hakatep's continued meddling in the Great Shori Empire, they flew two of their flying cities within 20 miles of Osirian's southern border, in an obvious show of dominance, hoping to quell Hakatep's aggression. Hakatep would not abide this display, yet he was forced to admit the superior might of the Shori magic to me in private. I told him that he should turn to faith to find an answer. He decided to find his own. He decided he had to fight the magic of the Shori with magic of his own. He turned his considerable intellect, or Kane's skill, to the problem, sending his personal guard, the Akumen, out to abduct Shori wizards, abscond with fragments of their technology for the Pharaoh to study. And fortunately, there was Jasura, the Plague mm. Queen of Ko. You seem to already know her story. Yep. We do. She told you of how she betrayed her sister, I imagine. Yes. Sahila. She lured her into a trap, making her sister believe that she was seeking forgiveness. After which, she was turned over to Hakatep. Sahila's expertise as Shori engineer brought a new level of lore and aid to the Sky Pharaoh. Needing further arcane knowledge, and particularly knowledge of the elemental powers, Hakatep set out into the deserts to seek out the four wise women of the nomadic tribes of the Parched Dunes. He left me in charge. I set upon the throne of Osirian. The pharaoh traveled and met with Hasim, Okonhon, Semenes, and Tarnasis, the four wise women, sometimes referred to as the four wise witches. Does any of this ring a bell to Masika since now there are only three? Not specifically, no, but again, it's been 6,000 years. Yeah, but that just seems like a weird tradition since the Beccan are so steeped in it to have lost. Mm. Huh, anyway. you have to ask when you get home. These women taught Hakatep the mastery of the four prime elements over the next year. They were loyal to the pharaoh. They kept him safe and fed, furthering his instruction. He promised to remember them and reward them in the future. Unfortunately, these lessons did not provide the Sky Pharaoh with the powers that he needed to fight back against the Shori. Reluctantly, the elders suggested Hakatep seek out the Elder Sphinx, Makuhare. Mm-hmm. Mm, I saw a vision of this. The enigmatic creature was known to be both temperamental and dangerous. Oh, as a side note, those four wise witches were also buried in Hakatep's tomb. No way. Dude, how big is his tomb? He buried a hundred people real in big. there? <laughs> I just feel like they should be buried with their people. That's, or, you know, whatever. Y'all are weird. It would have been a big, a big, big honor to be buried with them. I, I get it. But like, yeah. at the same time, it's like, dude, how, like, how many people did you put in there? We're going to have to fight a hundred people. <laughs> it's going to be the entire sixth book. People. I hate to tell you, the sixth book yeah. is every Gosh. room of this pharaoh, all of his homies. It's essentially a big homies. house party. Take notes. <laughs> oh my gosh. If the last book was, right. called, was called uh, Home Invasion or something, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> it's called All Hakatep's Homies. All Hakatep's Homies. So we've got his six Akumen. We have... No, the Akumen mm. are in the Guardian. No, the Akumen are buried. You guys oh, already found right, the Akumen's yeah. too. So we've got... The general, the one general chick. We have the four witches. Wife. His mm -hmm. his wife is there. His bard. His bard is there. Him. He's there. Who knows who else? <laughs> we'll find out. Maybe that sphinx that he mentioned. That I was, was going to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that sphinx ended up there. <laughs> well, let's Regardless. continue the story. We'll find out who else is there. <laughs> Go down the Seriously, list. Seriously, it is a house party. Mm -hmm. Undead house party at Hakatep's pyramid, y'all. Hakatep was almost thirty when he met with the sphinx a year later. Their first meeting did not go well, and in fact resulted in a fight after Hakatep enraged the mighty Sphinx. He told me later it was through poor manners. 
brash sense of protocol, refusal to play at riddles. Oh yeah, that'll make a sphinx real mad, real quick. Mm -hmm. Surprising even Mekuhare, though, the fight ended in a draw. After this fight, Hakatep went back, and I saw him for the first time in years. Tired and worn, but dedicated. I tried to convince him to once again turn to the faith of Nethys, but he put his faith in his own magic. And I don't blame him. This magic was a gift from the god, after all. So this was the first time he'd been back to Sothis in almost six years, if I'm yes. doing this math right. Six years is kind of a theme. Much of it's been at war, but yes. He returned back to Mekuhari after about a year. After taking a large portion out of the treasure vaults of the pharaohs <laughs> and enticed the Sphinx with stolen lore and the rare magic, Mekuhari agreed to speak with him. He then spent three years training under this ancient Sphinx. Hakatep tells me that Mekuhari came to see him as a near equal, although I haven't spoken to the Sphinx, so I wouldn't know if he agrees. Mekuhari was a valuable asset to the pharaoh. The Sphinx's wealth of knowledge inspired Hakatep to pursue the creation of his own flying pyramids using something like Shori technology. Some of the technology was in fact taken, but the remainder was crafted using knowledge Mekuhari held in the vast libraries of his mind and the skills that Hakatep had perfected over the last six years. Mekuhari's involvement with Hakatep's plans was never common knowledge, even Amongst many in his inner circle, I was the only one taken into his confidence. Well, I could only imagine myself and his beloved wife. Mm. Would the influence of a sphinx have been so controversial? More likely that simply that Mekuhare prefers not to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Having finally mastered elemental magic, knowing that he would need privacy, the pharaoh flew on his rock mount conjurate to the Pillars of the Sun to test his magic in secret. Another year passed as he perfected new rituals, though not all of his attempts were successful, and during one of them, one of his earlier experiments, something went wrong. Magical backlash that transformed Conjunturate into what it was that you faced. Hmm. Hmm. Call it a happy little accident. Hmm. Yes, that was very happy to fight. When the blast happened, Conjunturate shielded Hakatep with his body, always loyal. Conjunturate, of course, continued to serve the pharaoh, as you're well aware. Mm-hmm. And then, at the age of 33, after nearly a decade of study, Hakatep accomplished the impossible and discovered a way to bring down the Shori cities. He finally returned back to Sothis, where I had been tending to the nation alongside of his brother, Atet. Hakatep had poured his attentions into mastering elemental magic. His wife had spent her days consumed with ever more dangerous rituals from the Forbidden Tome that had marked the turning point in her life. Atet and I found a little help amongst the other advisors to the pharaoh. The noble mage, Tinaf Mafre, had become obsessed with Neferusa and her prophecies. Mm. Convinced that the darkness that she spoke of was, a, was the true afterlife, Oblivion, began to research means by which to avoid death. Mm. The other advisors were mostly interested in the slow-burning war and a few upset commoners. But upon his return, I spoke with Hakatep about the queen's increasingly unstable behavior. I warned him that her blood sacrifices of sacred animals and peasant children would lead to rebellion or worse. Hakatep ignored me. Mm. It was then I realized that I had lost him. He had been away too long. Hakatep's new weapon was the Kepsutanum. It required the elemental spirits, mostly earth elementals. You're obviously well aware of that as well. 
But to help in creating this weapon, Hakatep needed an architect skilled enough to handle the great construction project. That is where Chisisek came in. I went with them on the back of Conjutra to seek out the architect. Well, Sudi saw that. Well, then obviously you know that he was a master engineer, skilled in both architecture and the construction of clockwork automatons, like your little friend here. Hakatep brought him not only in to help the construction of his secret weapon, but also to design his own pyramid. Chisisek's early designs for this pyramid was used for a variety of other ones as he became more and more obsessed with more complicated versions of the pyramid. Oh, and all the lesser versions must have become all the other flying pyramids that are floating around, yeah. The construction was placed mostly in the hands, however, of a skilled high overseer, a man named Mintu Nebbi. The architect turned his attentions to the Skyfarer's weapons. And then something miraculous happened. After some four years or so when he was back, Hakatep was 37, I think, by that time. He and his wife had their first and only child, their son, Hakmothus. This, I thought, would be the turning point. The nation rejoiced at the birth of the next pharaoh, and the boy grew wanting for nothing. The child's intellect was astonishing. His love of stories and legends even more so. He was so intelligent that they began to call him the Ibis Prince, and I saw an opportunity once again. Upon learning of the birth of his nephew, the sudden threat to his own inheritance, Setet decided that he could no longer wait for the throne to come to him. I'm certain if you've spoken to Jashura, you've heard the story. It was a triple cross. <laughs> mm, yes. Very long story short, as he convinced her, as well as uh, Nyla, the queen's, half, the queen's elven sister, to attempt to murder Hakatep. I aided them, or pretended to do so, as Etat believed that... I would be against Hakatep, but I still saw possibility there. And besides, Hatep was a priest of Set. I would much rather the sorcerer's power of Hakatep on the throne than Set's foul influence. Jasura created the disease, however, that injured Hakatep. That was both of our plans, really. The pharaoh survived, the disease was contained, not removed. The conspirators were put to death. Hatep's wife and infant son, Kamos, were spared. The boy was raised as a companion to Hakmothus, and I was put in charge of the education of both the young princes as a reward for my service. Was Atet just slain? Because what the Nyla just killed? What the, what the did to Jasura? Atet was disintegrated. <laughs> oh, fair. Nyla, as well as Atet's two half brothers, if you will, his wife's brothers, the twins, Timber and Timbos were buried alive inside of Hakatep's pyramid. Ah! Bottom to the list. This just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> this episode needs to be called the one with the growing list. <laughs> I hate his dang pyramid. This is awful. You think they'll be on our side? No, actually, maybe. If they're intelligent, who knows? All right. I doubt it. Hey, Jashara worked out okay. They were put to death, and I was placed in charge of their education. Hakatep named uh, Timoneth Mafre's brother, Soket Mafre as the new Hatya of Southern Osirian. Mm. It was two years later that the magical construction of the Kepsutanum began. Chisisect, of course, warned that the project would take generations to complete, and Hakatep knew the solution to that problem, that all timelines can be accelerated simply by sacrificing more lives. I was going to say that the project, the project manager and me and Jess is just groaning at the idea of throw more manpower at it, it'll get done <laughs> faster. And I think, is Kamos the one that became Degenerate the second? Yeah, yes. I think so. Yes. Okay, all right. So I think something happens to Hawk Mothis. And somehow the Mothrays got thrown in there. Yeah. 
The Sky Pharaoh sent his slave armies to the border, had them raise the monuments, expand the series of earthworks to match Chisisek's design, and ordered to conceal the true objective of the undertaking from the Shori. Hakatep knew he would need a guardian for the site, in case the story saw through this ruse, and that was when he bound Tefnaju, as you're no doubt aware, since... We've met him, he's actually very nice. Yeah, we love him. him. That guy's good. Yeah, one of the few people in the story that's not in the tomb. Thank God. <laughs> he's out here, being a guy. <laughs> he's got a nice wife. Uh, Tuninoff, I'm afraid, of course, aided in the construction project as well. His magical talents were greater use to Hakatep than his noble connections. It's during this time that he devised a way that he hoped to escape the oblivion that he feared from Hakatep's wife's prophecies. Was he the bug guy? Yes. Oh, he tried wow. to implant all of his learning experience and personality into a specially prepared canopic jar. Yeah, I think his, I threw his specific jar on the ground and accidentally messed that up for him. Now, from what I understand, he just managed to jolt his spirit into it, so most likely you've released his ghost. I'm not sure where. Hopefully to his just reward. When the other advisors realized what he was doing, they buried his soul to linger forever. <laughs> so he hoped. With Hakatep's return, the Shadow War with the story escalated. When Hakatep was... I think it was 43 or 44. A Nosferatu, a vampire oh, named Inhotep, a devoted follower of Sekhmet, one of the few faiths that were allied with the Sky Pharaoh's worship of Set. A Nosferatu that followed Sekhmet. Okay, all right. Wild. Hey, Lady of Slaughter. Yeah, I mean, fair. The Church of Sekhmet reveled in the wars that Hakatep had demanded. Oh, right. And the war. vampire asked to join Hakatep's war against the Shori. Is he in the pyramid? I believe so. Add <laughs> <laughs> him to the list. Of course he is. Apparently, they all just wanted to get buried with Hakatep. Man, um, that okay. guy's weird. He didn't take any wives, but he made a lot of friends. I'm imagining this pyramid is the size of a Shori city at this point. Oh, man. We're just going to come in and be like, all right, we made name tags for y'all. Put them on. <laughs> We we all have our checklist, right? Like we have the 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 cards like they gave to the special forces. I mean, might as well be a vampire. Why We're not? just gonna make a checklist, and every time we kill one of them, we check it off, so oh we make sure gosh. we got everyone before we get to Hakatep. Oh, Nara, oh Nara, Nara, you can be in charge of the list. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Inatef became one of Pharaoh's most important allies in the war. He was tasked with infiltrating the Shori cities, assassinating prominent officials and generals. He was a treasured weapon, dubbed by his armies as the Sky Pharaoh's Fang. Okay, so he's going to be sneaky, which makes yep. sense. The next year, Soket Mafre decided to use back channels to contact the Shori Empire and attempt to negotiate an end to the almost 20-year conflict at that point. Mm. His plot was discovered by one of his advisors. The assassin, Jashura, thwarted him when she infected him with a horrific disease. Hakatev and his priests tried to keep the man alive to interrogate myself included, but her disease was inspired. I thought Jasura was already imprisoned for trying to murder Hakatep. No, she time. got imprisoned when she tried to murder the wife. Oh, that's yes. right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hoping to learn more details of the plot, but the man died shortly thereafter. The pharaoh was not pleased at the death of this traitor. Let his disappointment become known to Jasura, and Jasura decided to attempt to instead murder the pharaoh's wife and finally convince him of her love for him. Why didn't you just speak with Dad, the guy? Speak with Dad is not always guaranteed, and the man was strong-willed. Ah, fair. So, as you know, Jasura was eventually imprisoned in her coffin, buried in the Guardian Fold. How close did she actually get to killing Neferuset? Gosh, I wish she'd won. I know, right? She wished for the boost in power beforehand. 
-hmm. And so I would say not very close at all. She was in the middle of the transformation, I remember, when she was imprisoned. It worked. Correct. Following the imprisonment of Jashura, after a betrayal, Akatep sought out a new master alchemist, one that he found later that year in the form of the talented Kempathus, perhaps the greatest alchemist of his age. Adam does a brilliant man that was brought in to find alchemical ways to speed the construction of the trenches. Also likely have been buried in the Pharaoh's tomb. <laughs> okay, alchemist. Narmer, are you keeping the list? Was he just a dude? He was just a alchemist. guy? Like a human? An alchemist. Master alchemist, but yes. But not like so an who knows what state alchemist. He could be in. I mean, he could be Two years now. later, the Pyramid of the Sky Fair was completed, just in time for Hakatep's Sed Festival that celebrated his 30 years of reign. Mm. It was a sad celebration for the pharaoh who had lost his brother, most of his advisors to treason, or mad plots over the last decade. Only a few of his most loyal retainers remained. Myself, Istakimhabet, and Mac Kempathus Chisisek. How old was Hakatep when this pyramid was finished? What, 30, 40? 46. 46. The blows continued to follow after that. Because Chisisek died. Six years later. And he just died, right? He didn't, like, try to betray Hakatep. And how is he not in the frickin' pyramid yeah, along well, with everybody else? He deserved his own. He deserved his own. <laughs> he had his own pyramid constructed for him. All right, well, let's not jump ahead. Okay, so sorry. 46. I'm just... So when he was 46... He's pyramids finished, but all of his friends are dead. We're going to write this book, I think. (laughs) Six years later, before the Kepsutanum could be completed, Chisisek died. Mm. He was 39, I believe. Because he didn't eat enough. Mm. He sacrificed his own health in pursuit of his art, like so many brilliant minds. Mm. I never liked Chisisek, but I respected (laughs) him. Masika looks (laughs) offended. (laughs) You know... Well, he's probably not a very fun guy to hang around unless you really want to talk about engineering all the time. I must respect, however, his accomplishments. He had successfully constructed Hakatep's pyramid, 16 smaller pyramids built for the Sky Pharaoh's most trusted generals. He was buried with honors in the rocky expanse of his native parched dunes. Mm. It would only be three years later. I believe the Pharaoh at the time was... 55? When Hakmothus died. Nahamra looks down... How did Hakmothus die? He developed a reputation for his impressive intellect, his achievements, having written several treaties on Osirian history, religion. Gods, he was brilliant. How old was he? Seventeen. Mm. He documented his father's war with the Shori. His father was always distracted, his mother obsessed with her foul religion. Perhaps I wasn't enough. He wished to prove himself to his father. Mm. It was his right, so he joined the army. He accompanied Tawaret on a raid against the Southern Empire. And what was intended to be a simple attack became a bloodbath. Mm. During that ill-fated attack, the prince was killed by a manticore <laughs> named Ochipenthus. Is that in the pyramid? Oh, God. <laughs> Perhaps. The few survivors were put to death when Hakatep learned of his son's His murder. wife is a crazy, powerful oracle. He has you. Why wasn't the prince just raised? Hmm. Why would he be raised? Because magic can solve all the problems. And he's a noble in line for the throne who was only 17. But in their culture, you wouldn't have done that. Nobles raise their kids all the time. Not in ancient Osirian, though. Yeah, in ancient Osirian, they did not. <laughs> you died and you went on to your reward. That yeah, was the whole that thing. Was, reward, death was the reward. The current pharaoh is spending all the nation's money for a flower the that's keeping him pharaoh. immortal. That was no, the current pharaoh. Yeah, but this is This is ancient Osirian when they followed the old gods. 
No, they... He would not have been raised, but... The few survivors of the attack were put to death when Hakatep learned of his son's death. Even his favorite general lady who's buried in his tomb? Including General Tarwet. I was going to say, especially General Failed. Oh, I bet the rest of them are in the tomb. And the son's going to be in the tomb. Oh, 100%, yes. She was killed and buried in the tomb, so she might redeem herself in service to Hakatep in the next life. Add her to the list. What happened to Hakmothis? Does he have his own tomb somewhere? He was buried with his father. <laughs> Add him to the list. All right, let's kill his son in front of him, I guess. Oh, no. Boo. It just I mean, keeps no. going. We're gonna, he's Hopefully gonna his son is not going to be resurrected. He he's going to be They're all going to be undead. All of them are going to be undead. Let's and they're all going to be doing ourselves. the house party thing. We're going to bring him a name tag and we're going to find him. <laughs> Nahamra stares out the door for a long moment. I know I did many terrible things. Akmothis, however, would have probably been the pharaoh that this nation needed, and I felt that. Why didn't you or his friend stop him from joining the army if he was a scholar? It was his right. I advised him against it, but he wanted to be closer to his father. He's the only one I feel sorry for feel in this whole story. Him. And I like, I feel like if we meet his undead version of himself, we should be like, I'm sorry, that totally sucks. But sometimes your parents aren't all that matters. He learned that the hard way. It is not likely that you'll meet an undead version of... There should have been no undead inside of that pyramid. Oh, everybody's walking around. If Hakatep has been raised as an undead monstrosity, he would likely raise many others. Yep. But I cannot even imagine in a blasted undead state that Hakatep would befoul his son like that. Yeah, but what about his mom? The death of Hakmosis had a profound effect on Hakatep. He first started to show the first signs of weakening in his fight against the disease. His body had fought for nearly 20 years. Oh, it wasn't cured? It was No, just... it was contained. Like, that was the... The description was, it was not cured or removed. It was contained in him. The reign of Hakatep came to an end only a few years later. He was 58 years old. Young, really. Mm. The disease killed him? The disease his brother inflicted upon him finally brought him low. After 42 years on the throne, the Sky Pharaoh was laid to rest. His great weapon had never seen use. Overcome with grief, already impulsive and unbalanced, Neferuset took her own life, drinking a goblet of serpent venom as she was laid to rest next to his dead body. In accordance with Hakatep's wishes after his death, the Akumen swiftly murdered the Sky Pharaoh's greatest generals and his advisors, and interred their bodies in tombs scattered across Osirian. But somehow not you. I was conveniently absent. <laughs> <laughs> My man! Masika just raises an eyebrow. But oh, yeah. Nahamra. Istakimhabet offered herself up and was the first to be killed and placed in her own tomb. The Sphinx Syndicate was unwillingly mummified to guard, guard the Pharaoh's tomb eternally. Add him oh. to the list. Well, we knew that. I mean, we kind of knew that one, but yeah. Atef, who was already dead, allowed himself to be sealed inside of the tomb in the hope that the many grave robbers who would try to claim the pharaoh's treasures would give him blood to spill in a holy cause. Did he not know that the tomb was going to fly? You're, he's undead. He's got patience. Hmm, fair. Now, how he survived without the blood, that's the real question. Oh, they can survive. It's not comfortable. The alchemist, Kempathus transformed himself into some form of undead via his alchemy, was sealed inside the tomb as well. See? <sighs> and Mech willingly went to her death. 
was buried to serve as the Sky Pharaoh's herald for all of time. Good gravy. The Akumen then activated the slave trenches, not to bring down the Shori city, but to launch the pyramids into the sky. After this, the six warriors committed suicide and were buried inside of their tomb in the trenches. At least they're not on the list. When the Pyramid of the Sky Pharaoh rose into the air and vanished over the horizon, both mourning and jubilation broke out across Sothis. Hmm. Mourning for the loss of their beloved pharaoh and celebration for the death of the Mad Queen Neferuset. Hmm. Yeah. They terrorized the capital for decades. What a Nethian ending, right? Like, we've got celebration <laughs> and mourning. That is the most Nethian thing. I had even defied one of her wishes. In what way? She had wished that she was buried with her precious book. Where's the book? I burned it. Oh, yeah. Oh, Good wait. On you. Ooh, that's Did spicy. it actually burn? I burned it. I scattered its ashes in four separate places deep in the desert to prevent it from plaguing the people of Osiria never again. Man, that is that must have been a bad book for you to burn, and I know how we feel about knowledge and magic. Let me simply say that I did not complete the first chapter when I went to read it. Oh, and I would not encourage wow, any to ever so seek out its foul knowledge. Gross. After Hakatep's death, the Elder Sphinx, Mekuhare, retreated further into the desert. Worried that others would begin seeking his counsel, bothering his <laughs> meditation. Hey, Mekahari's not in the tomb at least, so there's that. Thank God. With no surviving children, Hakotep was succeeded by his nephew, Kamos, who took the name Dejerdit II for his rule. Mm -hmm. The new pharaoh halted the construction of the slave trenches and the order that I had founded, mm -hmm. the Sacrosant Order of the Blue Feather, to uncover the secrets of the Flying Pyramids and the Kepsutanum. Why'd you found that order? To safeguard knowledge. In large part, it was because I had learned that all knowledge should not be available to all men. Hmm. If there are more books, like the foul tome that Neferuset used, they need to be found and secured. Censored, if you will, for the greater safety of the public. Hmm. Well, good news, your order is still around. We've met some of the members. Good. I hope they're doing good work. I mean, we're, we're not their favorite people, but, you know, adventures. They're trying to keep this whole thing on the down low, and we were trying to find information about it. It was We were at cross paths. It, it was a whole thing. So the order was just to find out the information about how Hakatep made the pyramids fly. Yes. In the month during which the Akumen went about preparing the Sky Pharaoh's generals for their own entombments, we secretly infiltrated the tomb to obtain the deceased pharaoh's soul, captured two of its pieces within his mummified heart and funerary mask. We left the third fragment of his soul trapped inside of his body, leaving behind no evidence that the tomb had been violated. We re-secured everything. When the Akumen used the slave trenches to launch the pyramid into the skies, and then committed ritual suicide, they did so not knowing the Sky Pharaoh's body had already been desecrated. But why split his soul? Because Hakatep's magic was too powerful. He had become stronger than me. Why not try talking to Chisisek? Chisisek did not know how the aromancy worked. Only Hakatep had spoken with the witches. Only Hakatep had trained under Mekuhare. Mm -hmm. Only Hakatep had pieced together the power of the Shori aromancy. And Hakatep didn't write anything down, because reasons. No. What happened to Chisura's sister? You just mentioned that she had to work. What happened to her? I believe she was murdered and buried in the pyramid. God! Add her to the <laughs> list! Oh, we should... <laughs> Upon <sighs> learning of this blasphemy, Dejerdit II ordered that I be banished and then erased all record of his predecessor so the future mm -hmm. generations would not know that 
His very first order as pharaoh had been to defile and desecrate his predecessor, something that would have led to his expulsion and probably execution. So, did Jared II never ordered you specifically to split Hakatep's soul? You just kind of did that on your own? He gave me a task, and there was only one means by which to succeed. Yeah, but did you tell him that that was the only means to succeed? He might have said, okay then, well, if you can't do it, nobody can. Let's just fly the pyramid up. Whereas Jeff Goldblum is saying you were too busy being concerned about if you could do it to know if you should do it. <laughs> I was given a task. I researched the task, and I had the time limit between how long it would take for the Akumen to murder every single other general and launch it into the sky. I did not have time to finesse this. But also, did it work? It could have. Oh. But I was not allowed to utilize the objects. The mask containing the pharaoh's ka was enshrined in the reliquy of the thrice-divided soul, mm. in the sanctum of the erudite eye, in the newly founded city of Wati, where I only imagine you eventually discovered it. Long story short, it, it was eventually discovered, and then we took it. The heart of Hakatep containing his ib was buried under Askahad's spire in Sothis. Mm-hmm. Ended up being found, by the way. By my friend, who we did manage to save. I don't know how we did it, but I we mean, did it. it possessed. I suppose six Her millennia was a good run. All of this, he turns all of this to get back to your initial question, granddaughter. After I was banished, stripped of my title, position, but not my powers, I decided that I needed to know. Mm. I went to the city of Wati. Oh. Oh no. I entered into the sanctum of the Erudite Eye. I found the information I needed. As thorough as they were in erasure, they had not erased my memory of Hakatep. And as such, my divinations led me close enough, and I pried what information I needed from the other priests of Nethys. Magically, they were not harmed. So what Much. was your question? My question was, how did the magic work? It was a feat of magic beyond anything that any man, any single man, had accomplished since the age of the old mage. Mm. I went down into the tomb. I entered it, and that was my mistake. I went into the reliquy of the thrice-divided soul, and I walked past without noting the hieroglyphs. It was a curious sensation, this wash of energy, a trap of obscene power. If only I were skilled in finding traps. Mm. Ironic. Whoa, he's the one that triggered the trap in that room? The wall said, Woe to you who would plunder the reliquy of the thrice-divided soul. Turn away, lest the harsh judgment of the Forgotten One fall upon you and your descendants for a thousand generations. Turn away, for his call cannot be appeased. And it shall call forth legions of the dead and the damned. Turn away, and may the all-seeing eye and the Lady of Graves take pity on you. For if not... The forgotten pharaoh shall consume you, body and soul. Wow. Oh my god. That magic was wow. so strong, we still picked it up when we were there. Also, what a foreshadow. Dang. Oh, and we'll pick it up here next time. Rick. This guy. Oh, man. Wow. I believe that that was episode 24. 159 Dang. episodes ago. Wow! <laughs> you and your descendants wow. for a thousand generations. Uh, I've been waiting to Freaking deliver on a. that one Blake. for a long, long, oh my God. long time. <laughs> Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyright 2014. 
Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. I know, Mikey. So many people in the tomb. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that's too many. <laughs> Rick, leave that in. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>